Do we manufacture addicts? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. We manufacture addicts. Interesting question. Um, can't wait to see where this one goes. Yeah, this will be uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, before we dive into the answer to that question, I just wanted to remind those listeners of the betrayed, the addicted, and the expert that if you're listening to this episode on that feed, the betrayed, the addicted, and the expert, that's awesome. Thank you for listening. Um, but I would encourage you to go over to iTunes and type in Therapy Brothers or Real Talk Recovery and subscribe to our actual show. Um, the, this feed, The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert, it may last forever, it may not, but the Real Talk Recovery Therapy Brothers podcast will go on and on for a long time. So please hop on over to iTunes and subscribe over there. All right, let's dive in. We got Corey back with us again. Um, and uh, I'm Corey. I'm just going to kind of let you introduce your your question, kind of where you're coming from with it. Maybe give a little bit of background of your own experience, and we'll just go from there. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me back on. Um, my name is Corey McGill, um, recovering sexaholic, and I've been thinking a lot since our last conversation, where my wife and I got on and talked to you guys about masturbation and lust, and immediately started thinking back on my own recovery journey. Um, and it's led to, I, I guess I have three questions, but really that, that one, you know, do we, the society, manufacturer addicts? Um, I guess just some background on this. So a little bit of my story, which I'm planning on recording. So maybe I'll give you guys a link to that and you can stick it in the show notes later. That'd I don't be know. Awesome. But um, yeah, so I was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as is what I am imagining to be and what I have learned more or less without much exception is typical is at some point in time in my life when I was a young kid I was exposed to pornography the way it was exposed back before YouTube was really a big deal there was a lot of websites out there where you could watch like little animations and things and I'll just say some stuff for the audience to maybe kind of understand what I'm saying like if, if you've ever heard of Homestar Runner oh yeah you know what I'm talking about I used to watch Homestar Runner Oh yeah. And yeah, you know, it's hilarious. Yeah. Back in the day, the internet was full of all sorts of silly things like this. And as a young kid growing up with the internet being this new thing, you know, it was a cool thing to do. And so me and my friends would often get on there and watch Homestar Runner or watch other things, or we'd play, I think it was like mini, mini clip or mini board game.com or something like that, all sorts of different things. And, you know, eventually we stumbled upon a more adult themed version of this website or these types of websites that were cropping up all over the internet and that was my first exposure after my initial like exposure at school to pornography of like looking at pornography it was something that was a shared experience it was something we laughed about oh look you know she's not wearing any clothes and it's just a cartoon person whatever and you know through that 
I, I learned a couple things. I learned that one, if I wanted to fit in, I couldn't sit there and be that good guy. I had to, you know, laugh at the jokes. I had to do all these things. And so that brought me that sense of belonging. But eventually I broke down. I'd been looking at pornography. I'd masturbated a few times and I'd broken down. And I remember it was the middle of a scripture study and I'm talking to my parents about this and I'm telling them what's going on. They're, oh, you know, we're so sorry that, you know, that's bad. We shouldn't be looking at that stuff. And immediately I'm feeling like a horrible kid. Like I'm just this unlovable human being. But my parents say, you know, hey, let, let's go talk to the bishop. Let's make this right. And so I was like, okay. And I, I can see in hindsight that my parents are trying to help me go through the repentance process, the change process to purge this from myself and to say, it's okay. Like, let's move forward. You're not a bad kid, but that's not how I internalized it. I internalized it with shame. I internalized it with, you know, what I've done is so wrong and, you know, it's enticing and it's exciting, but it's just so wrong. And then going and seeing the bishop, my bishop was an amazing man. Um, championship shotgun shooter so i wasn't nervous oh that's at all. cool <laughs> oh yeah he he went to the olympics a couple of times i think really awesome um and a great guy and in hindsight looking at the conversation that we had the two of us in his office you know being told that yeah this was a bad thing it's a poison it's been it's been taught that this is a poison it can ruin your marriage you cannot look at this don't do this again and kind of in in short terms slap on the wrist Let's not do this again. And I need you to go to church this Sunday. Don't take the sacrament. You need to feel this pain. You need to feel this remorse. And I understand where that was coming from. But in hindsight, there just wasn't, in my opinion, enough love to counterbalance the shame. There wasn't enough. This is okay. This is a natural thing that you're going to do as a kid. And it's acceptable that this has occurred to a degree. And let's talk about where that line is, you know, and I, I honestly don't know if my bishop knew where that line was or any of that, you know, and wash, rinse, repeat over the years. And I had another bishop and, you know, more reaching out, but the shame that I felt drove me more and more and more into secrecy. And this, this message of, you know, Hey guys, perverts do this, or Hey guys, you know, this is bad. If you do this, you're going to end up like a bum on the street. Um, these messages that I was taught by youth group leaders, bishops, sometimes my parents, and just people at large in society, it made me over and over internalize the message that what I was doing was just the shameful behavior that I should not be proud of, for one, but should also just not even mention that I ever have done it. Just don't like bury it, bury it deep. And that's what I did. And that led to my addiction becoming worse and worse and worse and becoming more and more trapped. Now that I'm working recovery, I've been sober thanks to God, thanks to the steps and thanks to just working and, you know, speaking on, speaking out about this and everything. I've been sober since this last Christmas, right? My sobriety date is the 26th of December. And we've gone through so much change in the last, I don't know how long it is, like six, eight months, something like that. I just feel so different. And so it's amazing to me. I still know that I am a sexaholic in recovery and I'm only, you know, a click away on my phone from slipping back into this, but my attitude has changed. And so my main question of, you know, do we, the society manufacture these addicts? I guess it really just kind of stems from, you know, are we really teaching people the right message? 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you're listening here, this is the Betrayed, the Addicted, and the Expert feed, and we sure appreciate you following us and listening here. We want to let you know that we have moved to Real Talk Recovery. If you'd like to complete the episode, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, any place where there's podcasts, Real Talk Recovery, or you can go to realtalkrecovery.com. Thanks again for all of your support.